The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with stocks under pressure on track for their worst week of the year as the Fed braces for a key read on inflation today. Futures are lower and late to the game. What Jamie Dimon has to say about the Fed, its policy path forward, and what impact it will have on price stability. And... One year on, the West doubles down on its financial support for Ukraine and its war with Russia. This, as a third party now, tries to call for a ceasefire. Plus, an antitrust alert. The Justice Department very busy this morning targeting two big names in big tech. And then later on in the show, Boeing beware. Why the FAA is grounding new deliveries of its flagship Dreamliner. It is Friday, February 24th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's take a look at the markets and your money at this hour. First, with a check on U.S. stock futures. And you're seeing here red across the board, uh, the S&P down just about a quarter of a percent. The Nasdaq, the hardest hit, down more than half a percent. Now, this after a day of green for the major averages, the S&P snapping a four-session losing streak. But ahead of the open, we're still on track for week-to-date losses for the major averages and will likely be the worst week of the year for the S&P 500, you're seeing the declines right here. We also want to check the bond market. With the 10-year yield trading at its highest since November, this morning we're keeping an eye on it basically at 389 or actually 390, about 40 basis points higher than it was just a month ago. Still seeing that inversion in the yield curve, something we continue to watch due to recession concerns. Also a check on the action in short-term debt that's putting some investors in a pretty tight spot. We're also watching crypto, ongoing pressure for Bitcoin and Ether. You can see both of them are down this morning. Bitcoin down more than a half a percent. Ether under just under a half a percent lower right now. Both of them also lower for the week. And speaking of currencies, pretty sharp move in the dollar this month with the dollar index at its highest level since early January. Take a look at this chart right here. The dollar index up more than two and a half percent month to date. Pretty dramatic move for the greenback. All right, let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Jamana Bersetti is standing by in our London newsroom with much more on that. Good morning, Jamana. Morning, Frank. Well, the handover from Asia has been pretty mixed. So we had the Shanghai Composite and the Hang Seng and the session in negative territory. So Shanghai down six tenths of a percentage point. Hang Seng down about 1.7. Focused there on the widening, widening trade deficit, but also Alibaba numbers. The stock was down about five percentage points in the Hang Seng. Nikkei also in focus, the Japanese index up 1.3 percentage points. We had some remarks from the new Bank of Japan governor, Mr. Awida, pretty dovish and saying pretty much that they're going to stick with the course of the predecessor, Mr. Kuroda. So disappointment for some who are expecting some massive change in monetary policy there. Over in European markets, the picture is slightly more positive, as you can see, with the exception of the ZDAX in Germany. The index is trading negative. We had revised GDP numbers for the fourth quarter come in at minus 0.4 percent over the last three months of 2022. So worse than people had been anticipating. The UK, however, up about three tenths of a percentage point. UK consumer confidence coming in better than people had forecast. But a couple of names that 
we're watching out for today in terms of earnings. Starting with the French car parts maker Valeo, which received record orders last year and forecast growth in the year ahead, the company saw a boost from a push to electrification as well as driving assistance tech. Despite that, their outlook uh, was somewhat disturbing to the investment community, so the stock is down almost five percentage points. Another stock in focus also trading in the red is BASF. The chemicals company says it will cut more than two and a half thousand jobs in Europe and lowered its 2023 earnings forecast again to between 4.8 and 5.4 billion euros. Very sharp deterioration in terms of the price action there, down six percentage points. And then finally, another French stock that we're watching out for is Saint-Gobain. It posted a revenue beat in its full year results alongside record operating income and margin also up about six percentage points, so driving some of the gains on the cacaon. For, for, for the week as a whole, however, Frank, all of these indices are trading in the red. Yeah, a lot going on in the international markets. Hard not to look back at one of your first stories there, Jumana. Japanese inflation at a 41-year high, kind of echoing what we're seeing here in the U.S. as we wait for our latest inflation read later on today. Jumana Brissetti, live in London. Happy Friday, Jumana. Great to see you. All right, let's get a check <laughs> on this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is there with those. Happy Friday to you, Silvana. Happy Friday, uh, Frank. Good morning. Let's start with Adobe. Shares slipping in the pre-market on a report the Justice Department is planning to block the company's $20 billion deal to buy Figma. According to Bloomberg, the case could come as soon as next month. The deal was announced back in September and is aimed at helping Adobe bolster its creative cloud business and, according to Adobe, generate over $400 million in annualized recurring revenue. Shares of Boeing also on a wild ride. The FAA says the company is temporarily halting deliveries of its 787 Dreamliner over a fuselage component issue. Now, in a statement, Boeing says in reviewing its records, it discovered an error by a supplier related to the jet's forward pressure bulkhead. Boeing will not be able to resume deliveries until it can show the issue has been resolved. Boeing adds there is no immediate safety concerns for Dreamliners already in service. And Chinese EV maker NIO reportedly plans to build its first battery plant as it seeks to cut reliance on other battery suppliers. According to Reuters, the new plant will have an annual capacity to produce 40 gigawatt hours of batteries, which can power about 400,000 units of long-range EVs, Frank. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, EV, you know, the EV industry just exploded. We're actually really talk a little has. bit. Yeah, we're going to talk more about lithium, actually, one of the key commodities for EVs a little bit later yep. in the show. Savannah now, great to see you. See you okay. later on. All right, turning our attention back overseas. And today marks one year since Russian tanks rolled over the border into Ukraine, kicking off a conflict that has upended the region and the world. Overnight, China, despite its close ties to Moscow, has become the latest to try to play peacekeeper, releasing a 12-point plan for a ceasefire. This is the U.S. readies another $2 billion in military aid for Ukraine. NBC's Jay Gray has been on the border of Ukraine all week, and he joins us now. Good morning, Jay. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. We're at the Medica border crossing here. It's been by far the busiest of the crossings between Ukraine and Poland since the start of the war. More than a million refugees pouring through these gates, many now a year later still uncertain of where their journey might end. It's cold, dark, and places dirty. But for nearly a thousand Ukrainian refugees, the cots scattered across this empty shopping mall are home. Everything they own in a suitcase or just a few boxes, hundreds living here for the better part of a year. We are ready to help them as long as it would be uh, uh, necessary. 
Since the Russian invasion, 120,000 have passed through this shelter alone. And dozens continue to show up every day. Almost 10 million Ukrainians have crossed the Polish border since the war began, with tens of thousands continuing to make that trip. There's evidence of that influx most everywhere you look in Warsaw. Right now, around 150,000 Ukrainians are in the capital city. That number does fluctuate and has been as high as 300,000 in the last year. In times of crisis, people can actually come together. Warsaw's mayor is proud of his city's response. We have uh, granted Ukrainians citizen-like uh, rights. They've got rights to uh, uh, free education, free health care, free social services. We've enrolled uh, more than 17,000 kids to our schools. But he acknowledges it has put a strain on his budget, city and social services, and understands that like the war, the humanitarian effort will likely continue and intensify. It's not going to end today or tomorrow. Back at the shelter. It is very hard. Anastasia is grateful for a place to stay, but dreams about the day she can leave. I really want to go back. Only when I got here, I realized how much what I had. Home was dear to me. We weren't rich, but it was home. Now she wonders, will her home still be there when it's finally safe enough to return? Yeah, and Warsaw's mayor calls the border a revolving door right now. You've got families coming into Poland looking for safety and shelter, others moving into Ukraine with much-needed supplies, some to join the fight on the front lines, Frank. Yeah, a very serious humanitarian issue there, Jay. So question for you, what do those there on the ground in that region think will happen over the next several months along that border? Look, I think most everyone agrees that the situation is going to get worse before it gets any better, that we're going to see more people pouring into Poland and dispersing uh, once this war intensifies, which many military analysts believe it will over the next several months. And remember, we've got five million or more people in Ukraine that are displaced, still in the country with nowhere to live, and they've got to go somewhere as well. Yeah, very serious situation there. Jay Gray live in Ukraine. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, why Jamie Dimon says the Fed is playing catch-up and what that could mean for investors, plus much more on the one-year war in Ukraine with the U.S.'s spending to support Kyiv and what appetite, if any, still remains in D.C. for more. And then later on in the show, looking to the cloud for some big returns, a deep dive on the sharp moves higher in the space, the names leading the way, and the ones that are being left behind. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. 
Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. The federal will do what it has to do. It's kind of caught up. They're going to pause. We all know that for a while. They should. It may not be enough. And so I, I think people yeah, but should be a little... The 2% inflation, are you there for that? No, I think it'll take a while. I, I, think, I just don't think so it'll come down longer, long enough. So rates longer, higher and longer? Possibly, yeah. All right, you just heard it. Some very strong words from J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon with our Jim Cramer down in Philly yesterday, calling out the Fed for its poor timing and uphill battle to tamp down inflation. Diamond adding U.S. interest rates could hit 6%. Let's now welcome in Ben Emmons, principal and senior portfolio manager for fixed income and macro strategy at New Edge Wealth. Ben, great to have you here in person at that. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. All right. So you heard those Jamie Diamond comments, some very strong words from him. What was your reaction? So he's right, though. The Fed is probably have to move a little further from here than what they projected. You know, this number that comes out today, the core PCE, that will show some change now in not only that services remain strong, right, there's a demand for services, but also that goods inflation has been declining over the past year. That seems to be somewhat reversing. So <clears throat> I have to stay the course, probably going to this rate that Barr talked about the other day with Steve Leisman, right. at least, to try to get this inflation not only under control, but to be sure that you get back to 2%. So is PCE, CPI, you know, inflation rates, are those still market movers? Because we just got the Fed minutes. They said they're going to do ongoing rate hikes. They didn't say anything about a pause or a pivot, even though people keep hearing it somehow between the lines. So do you see this report coming up later today as a market mover? It could be because people are looking at two things. there. They're looking at that super core inflation. That's, you know, services minus housing. And that's what Powell has been talking about so much. That moves up to more than expected. Then people are going to take it from it, okay, Fed, you not only have to go further with bottled says, maybe even more than that. And secondly, that people look at anything that was deflating in that mm-hmm. basket is reversing to a different direction. So, yes, it could be market moving. All right, something we we'll have to watch. So we've had what I'm going to call an interesting start uh, to 2023 in this first quarter. Big rally in January, a very soft February. What are you expecting for this last month of the quarter? So it continued to be a bit of a struggle, right? You, you actually boxed in a range in the, in the S&P between 3,800 and 4,100. Mm-hmm. And although that volatility in that range is low, there's a lot of like signals in the, in the earnings that are very mixed. So I think you cannot expect to see a major bounce from here, especially as the bond market is completely reassessed where the Fed is going. And you know, that, I think, is overhanging the equity market. All right, so you're leading me to my next <laughs> yeah. question. Um, you put out a note just recently. You're watching the bond market and the parallel shift with Treasuries Explain to the audience what that parallel shift is and why it's important for both bond investors and equity investors. Yeah, it's an interesting shift in the sense of you normally talk about a steepening of the yield curve or a flattening. When the yield curve goes up at all at the same time, all rates, so 2, 5, 10, 30 yields, <clears throat> that really is pricing in a Fed that's going to have to be not only tightening, mm-hmm. but perhaps over tightening, doing more than what's needed. And that transmits then into the economy. So the yield curve then starts parallel shifting. This actually happened in 1970s, too. We had high inflation. Bond markets assessed like this is inflation is not going to go away that quickly. So it needs more monetary tightening. That's what parallel shift is. All right. Ben Emmons, great to see you as always. All right. Coming up here on WEX, your big money movers and why Carvana's rough ride may have hit just another roadblock. We are back right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. They see a window of opportunity for equity markets to rebound. Let's go to work. Countdown to the opening bell. important hour of trading starts right now. Where do you want to be in a still cautious and uncertain environment? And welcome back to WEX. That was just a sneak peek at the new CNBC programming lineup. Big changes here and even more reasons to live ambitiously. All right, turning back to the markets now. And it's time for your big money movers, one of my favorite segments. We're looking at shares of Block right now, up more than 7% after the company reported better than expected revenue in the fourth quarter, up 56% from a year ago, though it did miss on earnings. The mobile payment firm telling CNBC it ended the year with 51 million monthly active users for its cash app in December, with two out of three of those users transacting once a week on average. All right, now over to Carvana. CEO Ernie Garcia says his company will work to complete an estimated $1 billion in annual cost reductions over the next six months. This after the online used car retailer missed on both revenue and earnings for its most recent quarter. That stock down more than 92% over the past year. Right now, down about 3.5%. All right, and Beyond Meat shares jumping double digits right now, up almost 14% after the plant-based meat company reported a narrower-than-expected loss in the fourth quarter, even with sales falling more than 20%. Sales are expected to keep falling this year as the company looks to prioritize becoming more cash flow positive above growing sales, with gross margins expected to increase sequentially throughout the year. Again, shares of Beyond Meat up almost 14 percent. All right, it's not just stocks. Some key commodities also making some big moves, starting with lithium's eye-popping rally finally coming to an end and dragging down some mining stocks in the process. Our Pippa Stevens is here with much more on that story. Good morning, Pippa. Good morning, Frank. Well, the lithium rally is taking a breather over the last month, with prices retreating from record highs. Global prices down about 11%, according to data from Benchmark Mineral Intelligence, with prices in the Chinese spot market down more than 20% since December. There are a couple of reasons for the weakness, including higher inventory, a change in China's EV subsidies, as well as battery maker CATL reportedly cutting prices in an effort to gain market share. However, this recent weakness is relative, given that prices surged more than 800% in the last three years. The pullback could even be healthy. Benchmark's Simon Morris said cheaper batteries will accelerate the EV movement. And given the huge rally, prices could actually still fall quite a bit more while still being high enough to incentivize new production. But in the meantime, we have seen weakness in mining stocks this month, Names including Albemarle, Liven, and SQM all trading in the red, although, Frank, they are still higher for the year. So, Pippa, this is really interesting. We're seeing so much growth in the EV market, new EVs coming onto the road every day, and still a pullback in lithium. Do you think this is temporary or part of a longer trend? 
Well, it all comes down to supply and demand, and there are a lot of different estimates around what both sides of that equation will look like going forward, I think especially on the demand side. And it's fears around a demand shortage that have been driving this market over the last few years. But of course, when prices get too high, it ultimately kills demand. And so Simon Moore's at Benchmark talks about this sweet spot where prices are still high enough to incentivize new production, but not so high that they mean that the EV makers have to pay, you know, top dollar for batteries. And he pegs that level right now between 30 and 35 dollars per kilogram. And on global prices, we're at 70. So we're more than double that right now. So ultimately, they see prices trending higher through the middle of the decade and then starting to slope downward. However, they are not they are one of the bullish people, but there are some who think the prices will actually come down much faster, including Goldman. They see prices at thirty four dollars per kilogram over the next year. Thanks to more supply coming online. You know, really fascinating story, especially with the growth of EVs. Energy reporter Pippa Stevens, thank you for being here in person. All right, still to come here on Worldwide Exchange, the JetBlue Spirit merger back in doubt. The union's looking to block the deal. Plus, HBO's hit succession and maybe coming to an end. Pip, I'm pretty bummed out about this. Wise Creator says now is the right time to sign off. And if you haven't already, follow the podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Wex, we'll be right back. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we're just getting started here on WEX. Here is what's still on deck. Stocks on pace for another down week as investors turn their attention to the Fed's favorite metric for inflation, futures, under pressure ahead of the open. Russia's invasion of Ukraine hitting the one-year mark as the Biden administration prepares billions more in fresh aid. We're going to take a look at D.C.'s tab and the appetite for more spending ahead. Plus, the DOJ launching fresh accusations against Google and alleged evidence destruction. A lot to follow there. It is Friday, February 24th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to WEX and happy Friday. I am Frank Collins. Pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures right now in the red across the board, actually ticking slightly lower from when we started the show. We're seeing the S&P, the Dow, and the NASDAQ solidly down. The NASDAQ about three-quarters of a percent down, the hardest hit. If it opened up right now, still very early, of course, the Dow would open up about 60 points lower. All right, this follows after a a tough week shaping up for the markets. The S&P potentially looking at its worst week of the year. All three major averages down between 1.5% and nearly 2%. You're seeing the downside moves right here. All right, key for investors today will be the latest read on PCE inflation. That's out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. It is the Fed's preferred gauge for prices. Core PCE minus food and energy coming off a 4.4% pop in December, which was actually down from the previous month. Economists looking for that number to hold steady. And of course, we have to check the bond market, especially coming off those Jamie Dimon comments yesterday. We're seeing the 10-year yield pretty much holding steady at 3.90, still seeing that inverted yield curve. Something to watch. A lot of analyst notes about this still being something to watch when it comes to the markets. All right, let's also hit oil. Relatively flat for the week. Right now, WTI, it is trading at about 76 bucks a barrel, up a percent and a quarter this morning. Brent crude at about 83 bucks a barrel. Same story there. Natural gas, almost a percent higher. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top stories. Our Silvana Hanau is back with those. Good morning again, Silvana. Good morning again, Frank. I'm back. All right, let's start with Aussie media founder Carlos Watson because he is denying fraud charges being laid out by the federal government. Watson pleading not guilty to charges including securities and wire fraud and identity theft. He faces accusations he schemed to keep his financially struggling company afloat as it hemorrhaged millions of dollars before shutting down. His arrest yesterday comes after two of Aussie media's top executives pled guilty to fraud charges earlier this month. 
the family of billionaire financier Thomas Lee announcing he has died at the age of 78. Lee is considered a pioneer of private equity investment and leveraged buyouts and founded his firm's Lee Equity and Thomas H. Lee Partners. His most notable deals included the purchase and subsequent sales of brands including Snapple Beverages and Warner Music. And the Department of Justice is accusing Google of deleting evidence needed for its antitrust lawsuit against the tech giant. According to reports, the DOJ says Google routinely destroyed internal messaging chat histories. The company is required under federal law to preserve those documents for an antitrust lawsuit. This particular case is focused on the DOJ's suit filed back in 2020, accusing Google of unlawfully maintaining monopolies around search and search-related advertising, Frank. All right. Arsabana Hanau, thank you very much for those headlines. Sure thing. All right, turn our attention to Washington now. The Biden administration announcing the U.S. will send Ukraine another $2 billion security aid package amid renewed warnings. Russia could be planning a new military offensive timed around the one-year anniversary of Vladimir Putin's invasion. CNBC senior White House correspondent Kayla Tausche joins us now with a much closer look at just how much money the U.S. has spent on this war and the appetite for writing more checks. Good morning, Kayla. Good morning, Frank. President Biden's visit to Ukraine and Poland this week meant to shore up waning support for a war that's now entering its second year. In the last year, the United States has provided $30 billion in military aid, $13 billion in economic assistance to keep the country's bills paid, and nearly $2 billion in humanitarian assistance. In all, Congress has greenlit $113 billion for Ukraine through September. Despite that figure being exponentially higher than any other nation has contributed, as a share of GDP, developed countries are all sending about 0.2 percent. And that is just to defend the land, which has been decimated by Russian airstrikes. Rebuilding carries a whole new set of costs. The World Bank estimates that will cost $349 billion in total, with residential buildings and infrastructure being the largest portion of that. The private sector is beginning to step in, though. Two weeks ago, J.P. Morgan executives held a summit with President Zelensky to discuss near-term access to capital and economic stability. The bank restructured the, company's, the country's sovereign debt last year, and CEO Jamie Dimon tells CNBC, quote, We are proud of our longstanding support of Ukraine and committed to doing our part to lift up the country and its people. The full resources of J.P. Morgan Chase are available to Ukraine as it charts its post-conflict path to growth. BlackRock's Larry Fink also consulted with Zelensky in September, later signing a memorandum of understanding to enlist other investors to help bolster the country's outlook. But there's no clear sign of when there would be a return on that. Frank? So, Kayla, we're, we're definitely spending and sending a lot of money to Ukraine. Is there appetite in D.C. for more spending on this war? Well, the administration says that in private conversations, they are not seeing the resistance from Republicans in either chamber of Congress that some of those members are expressing publicly. So certainly there is optimism that uh, when the president says that the U.S. will be supporting uh, will be supporting Ukraine in this war for as long as it takes, that that support will continue from Washington as well, Frank. All right. Senior White House correspondent Kayla Tausche. Kayla, thank you very much. All right. The invasion of Ukraine leading to an uptick in investor interest in the defense industry, driving the U.S. Arrow and Defense ETF up nearly 15 percent since this conflict began a year ago today. The outperformance being held by names like Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin and Raytheon Technologies, which are all up between five and 21 percent in the past 12 months. Let's dive more into this with Christine Liwag, Morgan Stanley analyst for the defense industry. Christine, thank you for being here. 
Great. Thanks, Frank. Good morning. So Kayla just laid out some of the spending and, and just some of the sense that we need to support Ukraine. So just give us a sense over the last year, how has this conflict impacted the defense and aerospace industry and how do you see it impacting it going forward? So, Frank, to start out with, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is really an irreversible wake up call for the U.S. to reprioritize modernization spending. When you look at the defense stocks, they're primarily providing uh, advanced capabilities. And Northrop Grumman stands out as a best-in-breed portfolio because their portfolio is based on advanced capabilities in the highest portions of spending like space, hypersonics, and modernization of the nuclear triad. Because ultimately, our workforce systems are aging and we're in an investment period, a generational investment for defense modernization. So you just had a term there, the nuclear triad. I want to really explain this to the audience now. So you and I actually spoke yesterday. This is the nuclear capabilities of our military in the air and the sea and on land first established during the Cold War. Can you explain how this conflict has impacted both how the United States sees the nuclear triad and how it invests in the nuclear triad? Sure. So, Frank, I mean, for some context, um, we do have a land war in Europe, and this was uh this was really uh, unexpected, unpredictable, and something that in modern times we wouldn't have expected to happen. Um, another country invading another with 44 million people uh, in, in their citizens. So I think when you look at uh, how uh, what happened in the last Cold War, the Cold War didn't turn into a hot war partially because of strategic deterrence. And this is where uh, the U.S. invested in nuclear capability for first strike and second strike capability for land, sea, and air. And this is what um, a lot of historians and uh, political analysts would attribute to how the Cold War didn't turn into a hot war and why the U.S. and the Soviet Union didn't uh, use nuclear weapons. The issue is, in this conflict going forward, uh, these systems are now aging. You know, the land-based portion of the nuclear triad during the Cold War is now over 50 years old. The seabird version and also the um, the air version are also over 30 years old. So the question is, um, what do we do next going forward to prepare for strategic deterrence of the future and prevent uh, uh, this type of conflict emerging? Now, it seems counterintuitive that you have to invest in nuclear weapons um, to prevent a nuclear war, but this is what worked during the last near-peer conflict, and we anticipate that this could be still the nuclear posture okay. strategy for the future. All right, we're going to show the, the audience this nuclear triad wall once again. And there's actually companies that are directly tied as suppliers to this nuclear triad. So when we look at this, these different areas, can you just kind of explain to us which companies are going to benefit from this increased investment in the nuclear triad or what companies you believe are just best in class? Sure. And Frank, this is why Northrop Grumman is my top stock defense pick. Exactly for that reason, um, Northrop Grumman has two legs of the nuclear triad today. They produce the B-21 bomber which is the air portion. And they also produce the uh, Sentinel, which is the ground portion. And General Dynamics produces a Columbia-class nuclear submarine, and uh, that is the sea portion. All right, three stocks to watch for any uh, investors out there that are focused on the defense industry. Christine Lawag, thank you so much for your insight and your time. We appreciate you being here. All right, coming up on Worldwide Exchange, we head to the cloud with some of the sector's biggest names seeing outsized gains to start the year. The potential factors fueling that rise and the key names set to capitalize when Worldwide Exchange returns. You want to stay with us.
All right, welcome back to WEX. We are taking a closer look at the cloud and enterprise space. This is the WCLD ETF. It has outperformed the market and even the NASDAQ 100 year to date with these high growth and high valuation names in many cases seeing some very outsized gains. This despite rising rates, which usually hurts the space due to higher buyroom costs. Taking a look at some of the WCLD holdings, including Monday.com up 28% year to date, DigitalOcean 26%. Fastly, a whopping 79%. Actually, they fell a little bit, so Fastly up 77%. Still pretty much whopping. All these names have very different businesses and very different models, but one big thing in common, double-digit short interest. In fact, many of the big movers in this ETF have elevated short interest. I spoke with Cowan analyst Derek Wood. He told me he believes many of these gains we're seeing are actually just short covering. Some of the other big gainers in this ETF C3AI and Sumo Logic, now considered artificial intelligence stocks, Sumo also in the process of being acquired, both also have elevated short interest. Now, remember, Jim Chanos, right here on CNBC, he raised some concerns about the quality of this tech rally. Cowan, with many of those same questions about the sustainability of these gains without short covering. They believe the next big test will be Snowflake earnings next week. This is a high valuation consumption model cloud name. More importantly, short interest, only about 5%. That's pretty much what's typical for an S&P stock. All right, for more on the performance within the cloud and the names that may be best positioned, let's bring in Dan Ives, Wedbush Securities Managing Director of Equity Research. Dan, always great to have you on and great to see you. Great to be here. All right, you're out with a new note looking at the cloud space. What do you think about this elevated level of short interest? Do you think some of this rally is simply short covering? Well, no doubt. I mean, it sent the bears into hibernation mode, but I mean, Frank, our view is earnings is much better than feared. And I think what we're seeing with growth in cloud, it's still going to be significant going into next year as well as massive M&A. I think tech investors are underinvested. I believe the cloud rally continues, doesn't stop here. Really? Okay. We're going to get to M&A in just a second, Dan, but I want to touch on something when it comes to one of the big parts of the cloud that I think a lot of investors are invested in, the hyperscalers. That's Amazon, Microsoft, and Alphabet. I know you have your finger right on the pulse. What kind of demand are they seeing? What kind of a spending environment are they seeing? Yeah, and we just raised our price target in Microsoft to 290 because our view is we've seen a stabilization from hyperscale. I mean, clearly you saw a deceleration for Azure, for AWS, but we're seeing a lot of these large projects get done. I mean, still the thing to know, less than 50% of workloads are in the cloud. That's bullish from Microsoft. It's bullish for Amazon, bullish for Google. And I think that's sort of a theme that's taking shape here, which has a ripple effect for other cloud players and cybersecurity. It's a golden age for cloud, in my opinion, despite the macro. You call it a golden age. I know you're saying about 45 to 50% of workloads are on the cloud. You see that moving up to 70% over the next couple of years. But is it a rising tide that raises all boats, or are there going to be winners and losers? Oh, I think you're clearly going to have winners and losers. I'll call it a bifurcation. Now, I do believe Microsoft's a share gainer from a hyperscale perspective. I think Google is gaining a lot of share. And I think when you look at the application and ecosystem, I think it's really going to be a Game of Thrones that that's playing out <laughs> here. And, and I think that's also going to lead to what I view as unprecedented M&A from both strategic and financial buyers. And that's why, look, the haters will continue to hate on cloud, but the growth continues to move higher. And I think that's why these stocks have reacted the way we have so far this year. 
All right, Dan, I mean, you want to talk about it. Let's talk a little M&A. We've heard a lot of cloud players hint at M&A or just directly say they're looking at M&A to bolster their offerings when it comes to AI. Last year, they were looking to bolster for cybersecurity or just security in general. Uh, we just saw Sumo Logic get taken off the market and take private deal with Francisco Partners. What are the next stocks that might be possible targets for M&A? Yeah, look, I think this is really now, you, you look at names like Ring Central. I think that's a big one that plays out eight by eight. Alteryx. I think also you look at C3 where they play on AI, that could be a potential M&A name. And then Varen on cloud. I mean, this is really like an old school prom trying to match, you know, sort of potential suitors. And I think what we're seeing here, strategic and financial buyers are sharpening the pencil on M&A and cloud. Tip of the iceberg, in my opinion. So I've been looking at the, the WCLD ETF. It's trading just slightly above what it was a year ago. Oh, excuse me. Uh, Three years ago today, right before the pandemic really got underway. Right now, if you're an investor, would you put money into this ETF that's now basically trading at a pre-pandemic level? Oh, I mean, in my opinion, it's a golden age for cloud. That's why you do invest in these names. And I believe it's one, you know, naysayers continue to be there. I believe cloud stocks are, are ultimately up another 20, 25 percent this year. All right, we've got a big earnings coming up next week or a big series of earnings coming up next week. Salesforce might be the biggest one. Also, Snowflake just referenced it. I spoke to Cal, and they believe it's going to be a test of this rally. Short interest for Snowflake, only at about 5%, also a consumption model. Um, can you give us a sense of what you think about the earnings coming up next week? And is it really an inflection point for cloud stocks or just earnings? Right, look, I think it's an inflection point. I mean, Snowflake, clearly key numbers. But Salesforce, that's really the drum roll. Clearly, that's a massive activist situation, but that's one of the best barometers in terms of cloud spending. And I think we sit here and you look at Snowflake and you look at specifically Salesforce, I think that's going to be better than feared. And I think guidance, so what I'll call stabilization going into the next six to nine months, that's the key right now on cloud. All right. Dan Ives, I know they call you a managing director or whatever over there at Wedbush. I just call you a legend, man. Great to have you on. Thanks for being here. Thank you. All right, as we head to break, during February, we are celebrating Black Heritage with some of our CNBC teammates, contributors, and business leaders. Here is Odyssey Capital Advisors principal and CNBC contributor, Jason Snyder. By definition, being a minority is fewer than, but not necessarily less than. You know, as a young professional, I thought I, was, I needed to assimilate into the rooms and teams and boardrooms uh, that I participated in, but realized early on that diversity is a superpower and is additive. So I encourage you to show up as your authentic self. There's so much value in that. Welcome back to WEX and happy Friday. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. Shares of Adobe slipping in the pre-market and reports the Department of Justice is planning to block the company's $20 billion deal to buy Figma. Boeing stock also taking a nosedive. The company temporarily halts deliveries of its 787 Dreamliner over a fuselage component issue, according to the FAA. Boeing says there is no immediate safety concern for Dreamliners that are already in service. Boeing shares down almost 3% in the pre-market. Carvana shares climbing after the company's CEO announced plans to cut costs over the next six months. 
the used car maker missed on earnings and revenue in the most recent quarter, with the stock now down, as you can see in this chart, down 92% over the past 12 months. Flight attendant unions for JetBlue and Spirit Airlines, they're divided on the proposed merger of the two companies. JetBlue union members are asking federal officials to block the deal due to antitrust violations. And Warner Brothers Discovery posting a large loss and a revenue miss as the media industry contends with a soft ad market. The CEO is forecasting improvements later on this year. We're seeing Warner Brothers Discovery down 5% in the pre-market. And kind of disappointed about this. The end's near for the Roy family. Succession creator Jesse Armstrong says season four of the hit HBO series, it's going to be the last one, adding he wanted fans to know the end was approaching while watching the new episodes. I don't get that. I just want to enjoy the new episodes, Jesse. If you're watching, just come on, Wex. Let's talk this out. I think there's a season five in there. I just think there is. All right. Gearing up for the trading day ahead, a slew of economic data on tap, including PCE, the Fed's preferred gauge of inflation. That is out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. We also get new home sales and consumer sentiment at 10 a.m. And watch out for more Fed speak from Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester, Fed Governor Philip Jefferson, St. Louis Fed President James Bullard, Boston Fed President Susan Collins, and Fed Governor Christopher Waller. You see, Loretta Mester will be right here on Squawk at 8 a.m. Eastern. Um, she's going to join us exclusively, by the way. Big interview there. All right, back to your money in the S&P. It's on track for its worst week since December, down more than 1.5% this month and up just 4.5% year to date. But while putting money to work in an S&P tracking ETF, that may be Warren Buffett's best advice for retail investors. The Fed's recent rate hike cycle may be turning that whole idea on its head. Just take a look at Treasuries. While the 10-year is trading at its highest level since November, it's the short end of the curve that's really shelling out some eye-opening returns. To start, the yield on the six-month Treasury is now more than 5%, and even one-month bills are now yielding 4.5%. And considering Intel just slashed its dividend by 65% and blue chip names like Coke only offer a 3.1% dividend yield, right now may be prime time for eager investors to start looking at some short-term opportunities. Let's bring in John Stoltzfus, Chief Investment Strategist and Managing Director at Oppenheimer Asset Management. John, thanks for being here. Good morning, Frank. Great to be with you on CNBC's Wax. All right, let's jump right into it. Are you looking at short bonds right now? Do you think that's the best place to put money right now with those eye-popping returns? We can't help but think to put some money in short-term bonds looks like a good idea right now. But on the other hand, equities look like a pretty good deal in the sense that equities recently have come back under pressure. Uh, bears moving in here on the uncertainty, concerns about the uptick that we've seen in inflation, questions as to how long the Fed will have to raise. Our opinion has been no pause, no pivot from the Fed until they get the job done. In the meantime, we think there's opportunity for equity investors. If we look on a year-to-date basis, the S&P now has been bowed somewhat, only up 4.5%. But consumer discretionary is up 12.9% since the start of the year. Infotech, 11.19. Communication services, 9.74. And real estate, 4.98. Those are all outperforming the benchmark. Those were generally, especially tech, consumer discretionary, uh, and, uh, uh, and communication services were lousy, uh, lousy performers last year. It gives us an indication of where the market wants to go as we work through the process of moving towards the next new normal. All right. So speaking of the next new normal, we've had what I'm going to call an interesting start to this year. Big rally January, soft February. Today we got PCE. What are you seeing for March in the last month of this quarter? Well, got to think that uh, March will probably, you know, March tends to be, what is it, March 15th, the Ides of March, you know, uh, uh, concern about there and all. 
Uh, really, what we're looking for here is we want to look at the fundamentals. We think what eventually kills this bear market will be the fact that fundamentals will begin to overwhelm the negative sentiment and the negative projection that has leaked into this year from last year. We think the Fed's doing the right job. It's ending free money. Uh, sectors that we like the best they include tech, consumer discretionary, industrials and financials. We just heard earlier on your show, a lot of good stuff on industrials within defense. It's also big in agriculture, energy, both alternative and traditional uh, fossil fuel production. So there's a lot of stuff to look at here. And when stocks are on sale, that's when we want to be looking at them. Yeah, I like things on sale myself, John. So I want to ask you, you sound very bullish right now. Any changes to your price target of 4400 for the S&P year? And right now, that'd be about a 10% move to the upside from where the S&P sits right now. We, we feel very comfortable with that 4400 target, Frank, and uh, actually think as we move forward in the year, if we get to this point where we see that the fundamentals overwhelm the bearish sentiment, that, that may actually have to be adjusted upward. Wait, adjust it upward. So you got to break this down for me, John. How do we get to this 4,400 or maybe even higher? Are there any dips along the way? We had somebody else on earlier this week. They said they see a, a hop, a drop, and a pop. So some up and down action. What are you seeing? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, you have to, on a day to day basis, you can see stocks bounce between uh, uh, gains and losses as, as you go forward. But in a workout year, which we think this is, okay, last year was disrupted by Vladimir Putin's incursion into Ukraine and uh, China's uh, shutdowns of, its, of segments of its economy. This year, what we are in the process of the whole world getting back, uh, looking towards getting back to a new, next new normal. So we think it's the process that really gets us moving forward in a positive motion, requires patience, diversification, and it also uh, requires uh, confidence in one's convictions. All right. So you're hitting on a lot of different factors here. One thing I do have to ask you about are those macro tensions. We are marking the one year anniversary since the Russia-Ukraine conflict started. We here in the U.S. have also moved troops um, closer to Taiwan. So there are a lot of global tensions. Does that impact the markets at, at all over this next uh, rest of this year? Oh, without a doubt, that remains an, uh, an overhang of uncertainty. That said, we can remember, as you know, I've been in this business for 40 years, uh, uh, coming sometime between May and, and July of this year. Uh, essentially, we have been through points of Cold War, all kinds of tension where stocks have been able to move up and the U.S. economy has prospered. So we, we tend to look at it. We recognize the problem. Uh, but we want to be diversified and we want to hold those positions in industrials within the, the defense sector because we think this is worldwide. People are going to be buying uh, uh, munitions and be buying defense uh, gear. You know, speaking of recognizing things, I, I do want to recognize that your price target for the S&P of 4400 third highest on the street. You're talking about moving it higher. John Stolfes from Oppenheimer. Thanks for being here. All right. One quick check of the markets and the futures right now. We were looking at the futures all morning in the red solidly, actually taking a bit of a tick lower since we started the show. Uh, right now, if the Dow opened up at this moment, still early, of course, it would open up about 80 points lower. And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. 
people today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.